Bonjour, bonsoir, good morning, good evening, wassalamu alaikum, shalom, konnichiwa, namaste, que pasa mi amigos. Me, I'm a Wendell Wallace, just giving you a preview of what I'm going to be putting down today on my podcast, special dedication. This episode is going to be dedicated to the memory of Ahmad Arbery and the uh, situation that took place. May he now finally rest in peace and special dedication for those who are going to be traveling this Thanksgiving here in the racist, divided, ignorant, selfish states of America, the country that I live in. Today on the podcast, a lot of things to talk about. Oh man, we've got so much stuff to talk about here in the NFL. I say this every time, I do this every time, I talk about this every time in terms of, man, who's the best team in the NFL, who's the best team in the AFC, who's the best team in the NFC, I break it down and talk to you about that. Then I go ahead and speak a little college uh, football, the new rankings are out, Cincinnati is now in the Final Four, are they going to stay in the Final Four, is Alabama going to stay in the Final Four, what situation can happen to where possibly a Cincinnati and a Notre Dame are in the final four instead of an Alabama or an Ohio State I go ahead and speak about those things and in the NBA I want to speak about Anthony Davis the Lakers won tonight LeBron James came back the return of the king came back and had a big game against Indiana they won 124-116 in overtime but I want to speak about Anthony Davis in terms of you know there's really not huge impact type players in the game today there's a very few who can do, say for instance, what the great ones have done, what the legendary ones have done. If you're speaking about anyone starting with Bill Russell, moving on up to a Michael Jordan, moving on up to a Kobe Bryant, moving on up to a Magic Johnson, moving on up to a Larry Bird, moving on up to a Tim Duncan, moving on up to a LeBron James, the impact that they had, not just on the league itself, but on their team, being that consistent dominant face, being that consistent dominant factor, just not in the regular season, but also taking it up another notch and putting that team on the back and leading them to championships and leading them to uh, playoff wins and that type of thing. Very few players, now that LeBron has dipped just a little bit, very few players have that ability to do that. One of them, I thought, and one of them that was given the responsibility or given the expectations when he came out of Kentucky to do those things was Anthony Davis. And so far, he hasn't done it. And now, moving forward with the Lakers this season, if you want to gauge in terms of how successful the Lakers is going to be, don't look at LeBron James. Don't look in the totality of the Russell uh, Russell Westbrook trade. Everything in terms of how the Lakers are going to do this year is going to fall on the shoulders of Anthony Davis. Can he get it done? Will he get it done? That's what I want to talk about on the podcast today. Not going to mention the Georgetown Hoyas too much because I just want to give you a special shout out in terms of I got my YouTube channel up there rocking and rolling, Wendell's World of Sports, and I'm finally, I finally have it to the point where I can start doing videos. I can start actually doing videos of myself, doing my podcast, doing a portion of my podcast, or doing another uh, uh, example of my podcast. So. When I'm speaking about, you know, what's happening in the world of sports with my Georgetown Hoyas, that's going to be primarily for the YouTube podcast, which uh, I have, uh, I've started. But now, as I mentioned before, I have the ability to put in highlights. I have the ability to put in uh, the video of myself going ahead and doing my show. So I'm very, very excited about that. It's not going to be the same two hours that I normally do with my regular podcast. But, you know, anywhere between 20 and 45 minutes, just breaking down some of the things that I talk about on my podcast, giving you a little preview of what I'm going to be speaking about in future podcasts. And also, again, really delving into the last section of 
the YouTube video podcast about my Georgetown Hoyas. So it's something that uh, I'm excited about, and you should be excited about too. You actually get to see my face doing a podcast. And when you do go ahead and take a look at that, no, it's not Will Smith doing it. No, it's not Denzel doing it. No, no, I have no relation. No, I'm not their twin brothers. So uh, it's just going to be little old me doing my thing. So wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, as I mentioned before, Go ahead and you download, you subscribe, you follow, you rate, review, you do everything that you need to do. Wendell's World in Sports, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-S, World in Sports. Again, everybody have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Rest in peace. Special dedication to Ahmad Arbery. Now, let's get grooving and let's start this show. World in sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Let's go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Good morning, good abend. Wendell's World in Sports. Yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. K Pasa, mi amigos, mi amo. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Namaste. Wendell's World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Happy. Thanksgiving. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make your world, to make your block, to make your space, to make your place, to make your household, to make anywhere that you are a better place to be through listening, learning, understanding. Shut up. Listen, learn from those with a different gender than you, those of a different gender than you, those of a different race than you, those of a different political affiliation than you, those who worship another God, those who fall in love with another person different than you. Shut up. Listen, learn. Educate yourself, pass along the knowledge to your children, and then they'll pass it along with their adults to their children and their children and their children, so on and so forth. Too late here in a racist, ignorant, selfish, divided states of America for us to live in a society where it is truly based on who you are as a human being, not anything else. Too late for that. But what we can do to leave a strong foundation for our children and their children and the next generation and the next generation is to somehow, someway make the small steps for learning and listening and educating and respecting others, loving, unity, harmony for real. Again, based on who they are as a person, not by their race, not by their gender, not by who they love, not by anything else, not by their financial background, not by their privilege, not by their name recognition, not by their status symbol in life. Through true unity, harmony, understanding of who you are as a human being. This Thanksgiving, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm grateful for, that I have surrounded myself with people of the same mindset. Wendell's World in Sports. I love y'all. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us on the program today, on the episode today, on the podcast today. A lot of things to get into, man. As always, we get into the NFL starting off in every single doggone week. I always come up with the same thing, especially after the past couple of weeks. Who's the best team in the NFL? Who's the best team in the AFC? 
Who's the best team in the NFC? Because I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. The more things stay the same, the more confused I get. Same topic, same deal, same discussion. I know y'all are getting aboard with it, but man, you haven't given me a good enough answer for me to move on and start talking about this team getting ready for its playoff run in terms of being the strong favorites to get to the Super Bowl, the strong favorites to win their conference championship. I don't know. Because I thought it was Tennessee. I thought it was at the time Kansas City. I thought it was at the time Arizona. I thought it was at the time the Los Angeles Rams. I thought it was at the time the Buffalo Bills. Wrong. I thought it was at the time it was the Green Bay Packers. I thought it was at the time it was all those teams. And every time I started talking about trying to get myself ready to have a podcast where Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, winning the Super Bowl, what does that mean for Aaron Rodgers moving forward and being with the Packers after this season, after all the acrimony and after all the the drama that went down in the offseason, this past offseason. Green Bay, now the best team in the league, odds on favorite to win the NFC Championship and, you know, winning a Super Bowl. What does that mean moving forward? And then they go ahead and all this drama happens. Then I want to get into, oh my goodness gracious, the Arizona Cardinals. Cliff Kingsbury, who couldn't win Jack, who couldn't, couldn't win nothing, who couldn't place a team amongst the top 25 in the country when he had Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. Now he's going to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals? That team? That coach? That resume of that coach is going to be a team that's the favorites in the NFC, that's the favorite to possibly make it to a Super Bowl, the favorites to possibly win a Super Bowl. Then they go ahead and have a little have a little stumble, then we kind of have to send them to the back of the line of speaking about the elite teams. Oh my goodness, the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans, winners of six games in a row, seven games in a row. They go to uh, the Los Angeles Rams and beat the shit out of them on Sunday night football. And despite losing Derrick Henry, they went ahead and they continued to win. And you've got Ryan Tannehill playing great football and you've got A.J. Brown and then once Julio Jones returns and the defense is playing well and the Tennessee Titans with a strong running game, the defensive uh, acumen and the defensive intensity and the mindset of the Tennessee Titans, you know, correlating and meshing with the offense. Man, the Tennessee Titans built for playoff football. They go ahead and lose to the Houston Texans. All right, who do we got here? Oh, oh, the Dallas Cowboys. Them Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Man, they've got the number one offense in the league. Dak Prescott has been a revelation in terms of not just coming back from a devastating injury that would have ruined, that would have put an end to many of the uh, quarterbacks and players' careers. He comes back. This guy's playing like an MVP. This guy's playing like an elite quarterback. This guy's playing like a quarterback who just signed an extension and all of a sudden he's being underpaid for the way that he's playing. And now you've got these studs on the uh, skill positions for the Cowboys. you got Ezekiel Elliott regaining his form. You've got C.D. Lamb making a strong second-year performance for the uh, Cowboys at the wide receiver position. You have a trio of Cowboy receivers that seem to be elite. You have an offensive line that once those guys get together and get their chemistry going because of injury, they've been in and out of the lineup. Once they get back into the fold of things, that you're going to be having an elite offensive line. And then that defense last year, that was beyond horrible. They go out and get Dan Quinn, and all of a sudden now they go from being horrible to being more than respectable. My goodness, the Cowboys, this, that, and the other. One of the most talented teams in the NFL, one of the most talented teams in the NFC, without question. They have to be the leaders to get themselves to the Super Bowl. They lose to the Denver Broncos. Shit. 
Then they go ahead and lose to the Kansas City football team, dominated on the outplayed, physically dominated. Damn, what can we say now about the Cowboys moving forward? Doggone it. Mike McCarthy's still the coach, huh? He still has those game management uh, issues still going on, huh? Do you really trust him with the Cowboys once they get into the playoffs? Now we have to kind of reconfigure and talk about what's another team that's supposed to, that's supposed to be the elite of the elite, the team that's supposed to be a Super Bowl favorite. Oh, hey, the Los Angeles Rams, right? The Los Angeles Rams, my goodness gracious. They went ahead and got themselves Matthew Stafford in the offseason that already elevated the quarterback position for the Rams. Him, Stafford, taking the place of Jared Goff. Then during the regular season, they go ahead, they make the two acquisitions to get themselves Von Biller in a trade and then off waivers, Odell Beckham Jr. And I said it before on my other podcast, this is a situation where the Rams have a two to three year window to win Super Bowls, plural. Not one, not happy to get one. No, I'm not talking just one, not just two, but possibly, probably, respectively, responsibility impact wise three Super Bowls they go ahead and they get this acquisition now they're stacked now you've got a wide receiver core that has to be the best in the league when you're speaking about Robert Woods when you're speaking about um, Odell Beckham Jr. when you're speaking about Cooper Cup now you're talking about all those weapons that you have on the offensive side of the football with Sean McVay that the that that that, that young genius of an offensive mind to go ahead and get things done with that squad. Made the Super Bowl with Jared Goff as their quarterback. Man, you're going to try to tell me now with this trio of wide receivers, Tyler Higby at the tight end, a strong running game, a good offensive line, and Matthew Stafford playing at a near MVP level that the Rams can't go ahead and get the job done. Then on top of that, to go along with possibly the top five football player in the game today, regardless of position, Aaron Darnold. But you go ahead now to match him with a pass rusher like Vaughn Miller, along with Jalen Ramsey being in that secondary. How in the world can the Los Angeles Rams lose? How can they go ahead and find some problems? Oops. Robert Woods goes down to practice with a torn ACL. That's okay. We got Odell Beckham Jr. We'll be fine. No problem. We're going to go ahead and we're going to play the Tennessee Titans on Sunday night football on our home field. Oh, my goodness. We get dominated and we lose. Well, that's okay. We're going to go ahead and we're going to play the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. We'll have Vaughn Miller. We'll have Odell Beckham Jr. to make that impact. We get physically dominated and beat up by the 49ers. Now, going into this week, they're going to be playing the Green Bay Packers. The Rams can't afford to lose the third game. Now, they're in position to make the playoffs. If the season ended today, which it does, doesn't, the Rams would still be in the playoffs, but again, we're, we're not talking about the Rams making the playoffs. We don't give a whoop de damn do about them making the playoffs. This isn't about making the playoffs. We didn't go out and acquire Vaughn Miller. We only have three draft picks coming up in the upcoming draft. We didn't go out and get ourselves Vaughn Miller. We didn't go out and get ourselves Odell Beckham Jr. We didn't go out in this past offseason and get ourselves Matthew Stafford so we could make the playoffs. The playoffs? If that were the case, we would have kept Jared Goff. Well, we can make the playoffs, but you know that's that's not the that's not the expectations for this team now. We're not talking about winning a playoff game. We're talking about winning a Super Bowl. Now, losing to the Packers, losing three in a row, falling behind the Arizona Cardinals, depending upon what they did this past Sunday, does it mean doom and gloom for the season? No, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year were seven and five before they got things rolling and won a Super Bowl. So it, it, we're not talking about college football here. You know, we're, we're not determining who's 
going to be playing for a playoff and playing for a championship based on a bunch of uh, clowns in a, uh, in a in a in a in a conference room in Texas trying to trying to decide who the top four or five or six teams are. No, this is a situation where the Rams can still be in the position, but yet and still, what does it mean for all the expectations now with the acquisition of Vaughn Miller picking up Odell Beckham Jr.? If you lose three games in a row, three teams or two of the three teams considered the class of the league still in Tennessee at eight and three, the Green Bay Packers at eight and three. What's happening if you go ahead and you lose three games in a row? What does that mean moving forward? How much pressure now is going to be placed on the Rams. So, whoo, they got themselves Von Miller. They got themselves Odell Beckham Jr. They're the best team in the league. No, they're not. Well, what about the damn Super Bowl defending Super Bowl champions? I mean, you've got the one of the greatest football players who's ever played, arguably the greatest quarterback who's ever played, still doing a thing at 44 years of age, Tom Brady. All right, I get it. I understand the Secondary for that defense has been depleted, but shit, you still got Mike Evans moving on up to the east side. You still got Chris Godwin. You still got Rob Gronkowski. You still got, if he's not trying to fake getting a getting a vaccination card, Antonio Brown. You still have the weapons. You still have Tom Brady. You still have a strong offensive line that, uh, for the most part, has kept Brady clean and not even close to becoming injured or beat up through uh, hits and hurries and such. What about those guys? Oh, shit. You lose to New Orleans and you lose to the Washington football team. And you lose to the Washington football team in ugly fashion where losing to Tyler Haneke, where he's completing 26 of 32 passes and orchestrating a 10-play drive, 90-something yards that takes up the majority of the fourth quarter. And then Bruce Allen, Bruce Allen, then Bruce Arians calls out the team talking about they're a stupid football team, which is a reflection on the coaches. They come back Monday Night Football, beat the New York Giants 30-10. to 10. Eh, they're the New York Giants. Where do you put them in the hierarchy? Because, again, that quarterback or the secondary is still beat up and banged up and injured. So what do you say about that? The Buffalo Bills, man, here, speaking about the contenders throughout the season on Wendell's World of Sports, the Buffalo Bills, man. The Buffalo Bills weren't they supposed to be the um, weren't they supposed to be the favorites? If anybody was going to dethrone the three-time AFC champion Kansas City football team, wasn't it supposed to be the the Buffalo Bills? Started off losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers to begin the season, but you know after a couple of mediocre performances, they got their groove going. You know Josh Allen got his groove back along with Stella, and the Bills were riding and this, that, and the other. And through a portion of the season, they were considered the number one team in the NFL by the power rankings. That's a very reputable. Uh, folks who put together power rankings, and it went with them and Arizona and. Man, they go up and play Indy and get their doors blown off. Jonathan Taylor, I think, just scored another touchdown. Getting their asses whooped at home by the Indianapolis Colts after a couple of embarrassing performances. Losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars? And this is supposed to be a team that's supposed to be challenging for the AFC Championship? Yeah, I understand that with the exception of the 72 Dolphins and the, what, 07-09 New England Patriots that... Every team is going to slip. Every team is going to fall. Every team is going to stumble. Every team is going to look bad during the regular season. I understand that, but damn, really? The Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence-led Jacksonville Jaguars, you lose to that squad? You lose to that squad? Nine to six? You lose to that squad? And I'm putting you number one? I'm putting you number two on the power rankings? No, sir. No, Lord, my brother. 
So it's been like that every single week in terms of we think that we've got somebody, we think that we've found a team that we can go ahead and start talking about how dominant they are, talk about who's going to be their main competitors. We, we, we think we have the king of the mountain, but every time we think we have someone that is the king of the mountain, someone knocks them down or they fall off or they slip. Money in the briefcase, just as long, this is just, just, just as the Kansas City football team is climbing, climbing that ladder, ladder, the Tennessee Titans knock them down. And once the Tennessee Titans start climbing that ladder to grab that money in the bank so they can get a contract to, to, uh, to uh, go against the WWE Raw or SmackDown champion whenever they want to, just when Tennessee was about to get that briefcase, all of a sudden the Houston Texans knock them down. Then the Buffalo Bills were going to get it. Then the Jacksonville Jaguars knocked them down. Then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to get that briefcase, and the Washington football team knocked them down. The Green Bay Packers were going to get that briefcase, and Aaron Rodgers and the Kansas City football team knocked them down. So I don't know. I, I don't know what's happening. What's going on with the Green? What's going on with the um, Kansas City football team? Nineteen to nine winners over the Dallas Cowboys at home. I tell you what, because they only scored nineteen points, they looked a little. Yeah. Look a little off from the offensive uh, side of things, especially since everybody was proclaiming that the Kansas City offense was back after that performance they had against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday Night Football where Mahomes were brilliant, the big plays were back, Kelsey and Tyreek Evans combined for like 15 catches for over 200 yards, I believe, and a touchdown. So that was what's cool. McCole Hardeman was seen to be a guy who could be a valuable, who could be a asset as the third wide receiver. The offensive line played well. The defense shut down Dave, uh, Derek Carr and the boys. But that was kind of like the afterthought in terms of what the defense was doing. It was like, woo! The Kansas City offense have finally found the answer to the test again, and they're ready to rip, roar, and dominate once again from an offensive standpoint. The Kansas City football team on the offensive side of the ball that we knew from 2018 to 2020, they're back, and now they're going to run rush shot. Well, damn, against the Dallas Cowboys, who, yeah, their defense has improved, has improved greatly, but that's... Almost saying, you know, Dallas improving from their defense from last uh, season to this season. That's almost like saying a kid who was uh, scoring 25 and 28 and 32% on this test is now getting 65s and 70s and 75s. Okay, he's not flunking, but he's not getting an A either. I mean, to go from 30 out of 100, uh, you know, uh, uh, an F with a bullet to double the score to double that score the next time they take the test is fantastic. It's awesome. It should be applauded. But guess what? You're still getting a D at 60%. Damn. Improved, yes. But before we start handing the kid, you know, scholarships to MIT and calling him the valedictorians of valedictorians, let's kind of like, you know, kind of slow our roll a little bit. That's the same thing with the Dallas Cowboys on defense. Yeah, they've improved. But, you know, are you going to put them in the same category as a fully healthy Tampa Bay Buccaneer defensive squad or a New England Patriots defensive squad or a Pittsburgh Steelers defensive squad? No. But yet and still, those guys um, did a pretty decent job against Kansas City. With all that being said, I thought that Kansas City's victory over Dallas was more impressive or more encouraging, shall I say, for Kansas City football fans did the beat down offensively, the tsunami offensively that they threw upon the Las Vegas Raiders a couple of weeks ago. The game that we saw at Arrowhead, that 19-9 victory over Dallas, 
that was more indicative of how Kansas City is going to have to win a Super Bowl, after going to have to win a playoff game if they're going to have to get to a Super Bowl. To me, that's the thing that's going to be, look. that's what they're going to be looking like more in terms of going ahead and having the type of performance that they had against the Las Vegas Raiders. And the fact that, you know what, through two games, the defense has allowed uh, a less than 30 points combined between the Las Vegas Raiders with a pretty decent offense and the Dallas Cowboys, who, yes, while C.D. Lamb was injured and didn't play in the second half, while Amari Cooper was out because of COVID, because uh, Zeke got himself injured in the uh, first half, and he wasn't the same. Yes, they didn't have Tyron Smith at the left tackle position, and Dallas is left tackle dependent upon just the run game and protecting Dak Prescott, even, even though all those things were true. So we might not have been looking at the true full-board Dallas Cowboys. You still had Dak Prescott uh, playing. So for what the Kansas City football team did on defense, very impressive, extremely impressive. For the second week in a row, that gives me more encouragement being if you're a Kansas City football fan for them moving forward. Because now all of a sudden, Kansas City doesn't have to win games 48-45 anymore. Kansas City doesn't have to worry about scoring 30-something points a game because the defense they feel they don't trust in terms of putting up a good fight, a good effort, giving them an opportunity to win the football game. Now, possibly, maybe, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to play hero ball on every single pass because he knows, hey, man, I can be one of those guys where in certain situations, I can be that game manager. I can go ahead and, you know, punt on fourth down. I can go ahead on third and 15 and throw the ball away or set up a quick screen for seven or eight yards to try to change field position because I know, I trust that my defense is going to hold and then I can get the ball back and flip the, flip the field and maneuver and start a possession from a, uh, a yardage that's closer to getting in that end zone. I can be that guy now. Now all of a sudden, Kansas City on offense can be even more spectacular because they're not forcing things anymore. Now how long is Kansas City's defense going to play like this? We don't know. Who knows, man? Is this like a two-year thing? I'm not a two-week uh, thing. I mean, are we going to take a look at two weeks of that defense and kind of erase uh, what the totality of the defense has played like for the entire year? Are we going to erase some of the performances that they had in terms of just being poor? on defense, that's all going to be washed away, that's all going to be forgotten, that's all going to be water under the bridge, if I could use those cliches to say, based on what we showed, based on what they showed against Las Vegas, and against Dallas, that hey, Kansas City has got their uh, defensive groove back, here we go, not quite sure I'm going to say that, not quite sure I'm going to put that down, and what did the performance on offense say, because we're sitting there talking about the offensive back, the offensive back, after that game against the Las Vegas Raiders, well, 19 points at home against the Cowboys? Is the offense for Kansas City still back? I mean, we knew we weren't we we, we knew that they weren't going to be as proficient as they were against the Raiders, but I don't think they were even close offensively. They won that game because of defense. So what does that say for Kansas City on offense. On, on offense, again, the the win against one of the elite teams in the NFC kind of 
kind of muzzles that discussion. Like, hey, you know what? We won the game. Fantastic. Whoop, you know, hip, hip, hooray. But wow, hmm. That offense, hmm, really didn't, really didn't continue on what it showed against the Las Vegas Razors. Was that just a one-time thing? Or was that something where, you know, we're going to still remain inconsistent on offense? Still turn the ball over against Dallas in that game? Hmm, I don't know. I don't know moving forward. And if that's true, can you really put them in the discussion as being one of the top tier teams to not just win the AFC conference, but then go ahead and win the Super Bowl? I don't know. I don't know. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah, so taking a look at the results from the uh, best teams in the league this past Sunday. Tennessee losing at home to Houston 22-13. Yikes. Kansas City beating Dallas 19-9. Buffalo at home losing to Indianapolis 41-15. I'll get to that in just a second. Baltimore again beating Chicago 16-13. I don't know if it's playing down to the competition. I don't know if it's just luck. I don't know if it's just, hey, you know what opportunity gives you the the opportunities to put yourself in an opportunity to win a game. I don't know what's going on with the Ravens, but it just seems like, man, they just can't go ahead and just win comfortably with the exception being the Los Angeles Chargers. Other than that, man, whether they're playing Chicago without uh, Justin Fields, who got injured during that game, whether it's, whether they're playing against the Indianapolis Colts, whether they're playing against the Detroit Lions, whoever they're playing against, it just seems like Baltimore just can't, put a performance where we say oh yeah I believe I believe I believe now with Justin uh, now with um, Lamar Jackson not playing you know having flu-like symptoms not COVID but flu-like symptoms you know with his health being up and down moving forward with Baltimore yeah they still have six games to go but yet still where do you put this Baltimore team where do you put this Baltimore team in terms of the hierarchy of AFC contenders and Super Bowl contenders. And the Green Bay Packers losing to the Minnesota Vikings 34-31 in a season where I think that uh, Mike Zimmer really needed to do something positive to keep his job. He's doing something positive because right now the Minnesota Vikings are in the playoffs. Let's see if they can still maintain that position when the regular season ends. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as I mentioned before, at home, two-game losing streak over. Brady looked good. Leonard Fournette looked good. Mike Evans got some touches. Rob Gronkowski came back. They looked good. 30-10, to 10, the defense looked good over the Daniel Jones, New York Giants. So if you take a look at the current playoff situation here, let's begin first with the AFC as I speak about that. Here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. If you take a look at the current playoff standings, in the AFC, let's just talk about let's just talk about the division leader so far. The number one seed still the Tennessee Titans at eight and three. Number two seed Baltimore Ravens seven and three. The number three seed and possibly the new leader for best team to be coming out of the AFC, the New England Patriots, overtaking the Buffalo Bills. They're the number three seed at seven and four. The number four seed Kansas City. They're seven and four, and the number four seed, as I mentioned before. And if you take a look at the wild card teams as of right now, number five seed is Cincinnati with a six and four record. The Los Angeles Chargers back and forth game on Sunday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are six and four, and the last uh, playoff entry, if the season ended today, the number seven seed were those preseason favorites to really do some damage 
once the regular season and playoffs got started for the 2021 season, Buffalo Bills, they are right now scumbling and stumbling and bumbling number seven at six and four. So on the outside looking in for the AFC at the number eight seed, you still have Pittsburgh five, four and one at the number eight seed. The surging number nine seed Indianapolis Colts there at six and five. Number 10, the faltering Cleveland Browns who didn't look good at all in their narrow victory against the uh, fighting Campbells of Detroit, uh, of, uh, Detroit, Michigan. They're 6-5, the number 11 seed, the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, losers of three straight. The number 12 seed, Denver Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater, no thank you. And then number 13, despite winning two games in a row, Miami looking better, but still at 4-7. and seven. And then the bottom of the conference, you have the number 14 seeded Houston Texans. Houston Texans, Houston Texans, Houston Texans, they're 2-8. and eight. The 15th seed is the Jacksonville Jaguars at 2-8. and eight. And then coming in last is your New York J-E-T-S, New York Jets, Curdy B's New York Jets at 2-8. and eight. So those are the up-to-date standings in the AFC on the NFC standings here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, taking a look. The division leaders are the number one seeded Arizona Cardinals. I forgot about them a little bit, huh? Well, as I mentioned before, with all this talk about the Cowboys and all this talk about the 49, excuse me, the uh, Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Los Angeles Rams and such, the little old Arizona Cardinals still chugging along, winning two out of three without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, number one seed. At 9-2, and two, winning, uh, leading the AFC West, the number two seeded Green Bay Packers, 8-3, and three, leading the NFC North, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, now 7-3, leading the NFC South, and then Dallas Cowboys at 7-3, leading the NFC Least. The wild card position, the number five seed, are those Los Angeles Rams, only one game behind or one and a half games behind the Arizona Cardinals at seven and three, the number six seeded Minnesota Vikings at five and five, number seven and last in, in the playoffs, the new Orleans saints are five and five outside looking in with still a great chance to uh, do some damage. The number eight seeded San Francisco 49ers at five and five, number nine seed Philadelphia Eagles. Who would have thought the Philadelphia Eagles Jalen hurts. Really? Hmm. Five and six, the number 10 seed, them Carolina Panthers. I thought Cam Newton being back. They lost to my Washington football team. They're number 11 at, or excuse me, they're the number 10 seed. They are, their record is currently five and six, and the 11th seed are my Washington football skins. They are at four and six, and on the bottom of the conference, looking up, you have the number 12 seeded Atlanta Falcons, number 13 seeded, New York Giants, 14-seeded Chicago Charles Nagy's, and the number 15-seed Seattle Seahawks, 3-7, of seven, the Seattle Seahawks. Hmm. Hmm. And the number 16-seeded 0-9-1 Detroit Lions. So, interesting look moving forward. Could you take a look at some of the remaining schedules of the AFC division and playoff contenders? You got the Titans. This Sunday, it's going to be the game of the week where they play the New England Patriots. After that, they get themselves a bye, then Jacksonville, then at Pittsburgh, then they're at home with the 49ers, then the Dolphins before finishing the season on the road at Houston. As I mentioned before, the biggest game of the weekend is going to be them playing against the uh, New England Patriots. And as I mentioned before, oh, excuse me, 
as I mentioned before, the New England Patriots might be the best team right now in the AFC, at least for this week, right? I mean, they have steadily climbed to uh, earn that uh, thought and opinion. I mean, how many games have they won now? Five in a row? Last week on Thursday Night Football, they um, beat the living snot out of the Atlanta Falcons, embarrassed them, took away their heart, took away their competitive spirit, 25 to nothing. The defense so far for this streak has been the key for for, uh, New England. And, you know, Bill Belichick being the guy on defense, you know, putting together great defenses when he was with the New York Giants as a defensive coordinator, then moving on to Cleveland for five years, then moving back to uh, New England at the uh, defensive coordinator there, and then the New York Jets before going back to the uh, going back to the uh, New England Patriots as head coach. I don't know if he was the defensive coordinator with Bill Parcells for the Jets first, then the New England Patriots, or vice versa. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't remember. But yet and still. As we know, Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. He's known for his uh, great defense. And when you take a look, again, the key for New England this season, they haven't allowed you know, any points in 19 straight uh, possessions for their opponents. Dating back to the game against Cleveland on November 7th, the game that uh, New England won 45-7. to and during the winning streak, which I believe now is at five games, which is the longest winning streak in the league right now after, again, the six-game winning streak from Tennessee went bye-bye and their loss at home to the Houston Texans. During the winning streak for New England, the five games, they've given up just uh, 10 points per game with 12 interceptions against four, and, uh, against four touchdown passes. So the opposition is throwing four touchdown passes. They're picking up, they're, uh, picking up 12 interceptions from the opposing quarterback so the Patriots lead the league with 18 interceptions they've returned three interceptions for a touchdown this season which is tied for Dallas for the most in the NFL in 2021 so this game against the Titans on Sunday guess what they're gonna have some more opportunities to dominate on defense because if you take a look at what happened in the game against the Houston Texans for Ryan Tannehill he was beyond atrocious Threw four interceptions for the first time in his career. He had 12 interceptions this se- this season, which is the worst in the uh, NFL. And he's been sacked 31 times, which is tied for most in the league. So the defense for the New England Patriots have to be licking their chops in terms of the situation that they could be put in to really cause them havoc. And guess what? Derrick Henry is not walking through that door, Tennessee Titan fans. And if he is, he's going to be walking in a walking boot and not being able to play. And you also do have such guys as, as A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, not uh, being able to play or being questionable. Julio Jones is out because of a hamstring injury. We know that A.J. Brown is listed as questionable. So the, the uh, weapons for Tennessee have been laid to bear in terms of who do you got? And you're going to be relying on Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill looked fantastic. Ryan Tannehill looked wonderful. Ryan Tannehill got a boatload of money on a contract extension a couple of years ago. Oh, when he had Derrick Henry in the backfield. And that play-action pass was working. Why? Because everybody was keyed in on who? Derrick Henry. Now that Derrick Henry isn't here, they tried Adrian Peterson. He's no longer with the team. They cut him. They waived him uh, this past week. Who is Ryan Tannehill going to play action pass with, which is going to give him the opportunities and give him the success that he found when he was uh, doing it with Derrick Henry? So for New England, who right now is coming in on a roll defensively, ain't looking good for Ryan Tannehill. 
again, they played well in a couple of games without Derrick Henry, but you're playing a defense like this in New England, playing as well as they are. Tell me how they're going to be getting some points. And for New England's side of thing, if you want to be going from the defensive side to the offensive side for us to talk about it here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. This is going to be another good test for Mac Jones, the quarterback Mac Jones for the New England Patriots. He's already we, we, he's already had a good game in a spotlight, high spotlight, high intense game when the Tampa Tom Buccaneers came back to play and he held his own and had the Buccaneers in the positions to uh, lose that game, had his team, the Patriots, in the position to win that game. The question now is this is going to be another test to gauge how much can Mac Jones contribute to a team that has the parts, especially on defense, that could win a conference championship and possibly win a Super Bowl championship? Is he ready to be that quarterback to play an important role for a team with those aspirations? Will he be called upon to do that any time during the remainder of the season? This is going to be a good start against a Tennessee Titans defense that's pretty good. Because then again, you take a look at the Patriots' schedule after Tennessee they're at, Bal- they're at Buffalo, then they're at Indianapolis, then they're at home to Buffalo, then Jacksonville, and then Miami. So you're speaking about in the next four games, Mac Jones in that offense is going to be going up against the team with the best record in the conference. Then they're going to be going up against Josh Allen twice in three weeks. And the second hottest team in the conference, the Indianapolis Colts with the best, best player on the planet right now, Jonathan Taylor. So... How is that going to be? How is that going to be working out? And again, I've said this before. What is the ceiling for Mac Jones in this offense? What is the ceiling for Mac Jones going into this playoffs? What's going to be the position of Mac Jones when during the playoffs, as I keep saying on my podcast, how is he going to perform if he's going to be asked to win a um, asked to win a playoff game? If he's going to be going up against a Josh Allen? If he's going to be going up against a uh, Lamar Jackson, if he's going to be going up against a Patrick Mahomes, is he going to be able to put the ball in the air 40 to 45 times and score some points and make enough plays for New England to uh, to uh, win a Super Bowl or for New England to win a playoff game or for New England to win a conference championship? Now, look, during the last five games, I mean, Jones has found his groove, but it's been in a very manageable game type situation he's only had one mediocre performance during the stretch of games that the Patriots have really been you know staking their claim as one of the best teams not just in the AFC but also in the NFL his game Mac Jones's game against the Los Angeles Chargers he was 18 for 35 217 yards no touchdowns or interceptions but he had a quarterback rating of 43.8 not good so in the stretch where the Patriots have won six of their last seven games and five games in a row, if you take away the game against the Chargers, Mac Jones has been good. Are we grading him on a scale? I mean, are we grading him on, you know, a different ledger? I don't think we're going to be grading Mac Jones a rookie quarterback. It would be unfair to grade him with some of the better quarterbacks in the league right now who have been doing this for a number of years. So, you know, Based on that definition, based on the argument, based on everything that has been given about Mac Jones, quarterback, first time starting, this, that, and the other, he's done well. He's done well. And during this five-game stretch, yeah, he's been going up against Houston and Dallas and the New York Jets and Carolina, Cleveland, 
in Atlanta, so we're not talking about murderous row. It's not going to be the same type of competition that he's going to be facing starting Sunday for the next four weeks. But in those games, as I mentioned before, against the Texans and the Cowboys and the Jets and the Carolina Panthers and the Cleveland Browns and the Atlanta Falcons, Jones has completed almost 75% of his 154 pass attempts for an average of 218 yards per game. That's solid. That's good. That's solid. 10 touchdowns, four interceptions during this stretch. That's good. That's solid. That's professional. That's good. That's solid. That's not MVP level. That's not franchise playing quarterback level. It's just being smart. It's just being good. It's just being good enough to make sure that you don't fuck things up. So New England's success on offense has been the running game and a balanced offensive line. That's where they're going to be making their... uh, that's where they're going to be cashing them them big checks. They want them big checks. It's not going to be on Mac Jones trying to outduel Patrick Mahomes. It's not going to be out uh, Mac Jones trying to uh, out big play Lamar Jackson. It's not going to be him trying to gain more yardage passing wise than Josh Allen. It's about running that football. It's about the Patriots with that big, strong offensive line and those big running backs they got to control the line of scrimmage, to control the clock. Have them be the equivalent to what Michigan is in college football. Don't rely on the quarterback to make some plays. Rely on that running game and running out the clock. And when you speak about the Patriots rushing for an average of 120 yards over the last seven games, that shows you what they're talking about. When you speak about the balance that has been possessed by the New England Patriots over the past seven games where they've rushed the ball 231 times and thrown it 192 uh, times. Only against the New York Jets did Mac Jones throw more than the uh, Patriots ran the ball. Against the Jets, he threw the ball 41 times, while the Patriots ran the ball 32 times. It's all about that balance. It's all about that balance. And if you start having Mac Jones start to uh, become more of the focal point of the offense and start trying to make a multitude of plays, that's where New England is going to be getting in trouble. Again, my question is going to be, if there's going to come a time, can New England keep it in the same realm, the same stratosphere for them to, you know what, we're not going to ask Mac, Mac Jones to make plays like that for us because we're never going to be putting him in a position for him to make plays like that. We will see. We will see. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about the game of the week, the this uh, for week 13, isn't it week 13 in the NFL? Week 12, I think, something like that. The Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. Tennessee, again, trying to rebound from the studying loss to the Houston Texans. <laughs> Before the game, <laughs> Tennessee had won seven of their first nine games despite facing the NFL's most difficult schedule over that stretch. And then they lose to the Houston Texans at, at home. I don't give a fuck about the rain. It was raining outside, so what? The, uh, the Houston Texans were playing in the desert against them? Now, the good part is, glass half full, they still hold a two-game lead over Indianapolis with six games left to play. My question for a Tennessee Titans fan is this. Man, can y'all overcome the amount of injuries you currently have? Because on Wednesday, 10 players for Tennessee were not practicing. And you're speaking about such players as A.J. Brown, right guard Nate Davis, linebackers Rashad Evans and David Long, defensive lineman Tier Tart, and outside linebacker Harold Landry. Some of those guys are uh, pretty important for that team. A.J. Brown, Tannehill's number one receiver, and now 
would have to be the number one threat on offense with Derrick Henry going down. He suffered a hand and chest injury in the game against Houston. The initial x-rays were negative, so there is a possibility that Brown is going to play against New England, but you know how good is he going to be? How close to, I don't know, 75-80% is he going to be? And with Tennessee already missing Julio Jones, as I mentioned before, for two more games because he's on injured reserve with a hamstring injury, man, they're going to need A.J. Brown to be balling. And how much of an impact can he have? How much of a huge impact can he have if he's not going to be anywhere close to uh, being able to do that physically? And what does that mean for Ryan Tannehill now moving forward? So, you know, relying on the running game if you're Tennessee. Okay, that's fine. But again, Derrick Henry is walking out that door, walking through that door. And against Houston, it was the only time since Derrick Henry went down in three games that the Texans came close to rushing for 100 yards. Now they rushed for 104 and 23 carries against Houston, but the guy who did most of the carries and most of the yardage, Adrian Peterson, he's no longer there. As I mentioned before, he, he was waived. So you got Donta Foreman, that was Tennessee's best back for the first two games without Derrick Henry. And you have Dontrell Hilliard, who, added, who had 82 total yards on 15 touches against uh, Houston. That's nice. But you have those two and Jeremy McNuckles, who missed the game against Houston because he was in pro, uh, concussion protocol. We don't know what his deal is going to be moving forward. What's going to be happening with the Houston Texans? And with the surging Indianapolis Colts, how much longer can they hold on? It's going to be an interesting trek. It's going to be an interesting streck, streck, stretch, that too, down the stretch to figure out who the best team in the NFL is going to be. I don't know. On Monday, on Tuesday, whenever I put in my next podcast next week, who are we going to be talking about next week? Are we going to be talking about New England? Are we going to be talking about the Rams rebounding? Are we going to be talking about another strong defensive performance by Kansas City? Are we going to be speaking about the Packers losing for the second time in a row? Are we going to be speaking about races getting tighter because the Ravens lost or the um, Indianapolis Colts look great again and now moving into one game behind the Tennessee Titans with five games left to go? What are we going to be speaking about when everything is all said and done on um, next Tuesday or Wednesday when I put out my next episode of Wendell's World of Sports? I don't know, but prognostication in terms of what's happening, in terms of who's going to be doing what, who's legit, who's not legit, and all those type of things, I don't know. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Happy Thanksgiving to all. You know what? If you're going on a long trip, man, if you're going ahead and you're going to be stuck at the uh, airport, if you're going to be taking that long drive to see grandma, to see auntie, to see your mom, your dad, your friends, your 
your nieces, your nephews, your children, whatever it is, man. See, your parents, whatever it is, man. Go ahead and you download, you subscribe, you rate, review, you follow Wendell's World of Sports. This is the best time, really, to kill a few hours in terms of uh, just kicking back, listening to some really good sports talk, giving you my thoughts and opinions about what's happening in the world of sports. And from there, man, by the time you know it, by the time the, fa- the last song is over, by the time Diana Ross reach out and touch someone's hand is done, as far as the outro for this podcast, you'll be there. You will be there at your destination, or you'll be up in flight and you only have a couple of more hours to go before you land. So why not go ahead and listen to Wendell's World of Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Bam! Boom! There we go. All right, speaking about what's happening in the NFL, spoke about the game of the week a little bit, the Tennessee Titans going to play the New England Patriots, talked about the craziness of the AFC, talked about the uncertainty of the NFC, talked about certain teams that were supposed to be doing some things, and then some other teams that were supposed to be doing some things, and then when one team falls by the wayside, we go ahead and we anoint that the next team is going to be the team that we should be really serious about in terms of them being contenders for the conference and Super Bowl championship, and then something like, Tennessee and Houston happens or something like Buffalo and Jacksonville happens or something like Kansas City and Green Bay happens or something like, oh, I don't know, Dallas and Denver and Kansas City happens or something like the Rams and Tennessee losing to Tennessee and the 49ers happen and all of a sudden now we start start putting a little pause on what's happening and what we should be kind of speaking about when we're anointing the next great football team in the NFL to be leaders for that Super Bowl championship. Well, I don't know, man. There's some good games going on this weekend. Of course, you got the uh, you, you got the Thursday games. You got the uh, Thanksgiving games. Uh, Chicago and Detroit again. Going to sleep through that one. I'm, I'm just, just not my deal. Just not my deal in terms of watching the Detroit Lions play. I don't care. They always talk about one of the um, one of the deals. One of the reasons why you should be watching this game is because you know it's a tradition. On Thanksgiving, you go up and you watch the football game. And then, because of that, you know, unlike the Monday night game, unlike the Thursday night game, unlike the Sunday games when Detroit always plays and looks putrid and loses, for for, for Detroit, for the franchise, for the team and such, they really get themselves worked up and they really get themselves ready to play for Thanksgiving Day. Woo-wee! The tradition and the fact that the Lions, I think, are the longest you know, France had the longest tenure of playing on Thanksgiving Day and tradition and all this kind of nonsense. But you think those players really give a damn about playing on Thursday in terms of, wow, I remember when Bobby Lane and I remember when Alex Karras and I remember when the great Detroit Lions played on Thursday night, uh, Thursday Thanksgiving, and I have to be able to hold that tradition. So unlike Sundays and unlike Mondays and unlike Thursday night football where we go out and we embarrass ourselves or we lose, now I'm really going to go out there and play some football. I'm really going to play the game of my life because I know the tradition of the Detroit Lions of playing on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day in the NFL. So let's go, boys. Let's get it together. Let's go win some vic- – let's go win a game on Thurs- on uh, Thanksgiving. Woohoo! Ain't no – those uh, – that team ain't down with that kind of nonsense, man. They're 0-9-1. All they're looking for is a win. All they're looking for is to try to get a win. Playing on Thanksgiving isn't going to enhance their passion and enthusiasm to try to get that first win of the season. So 
them playing the Chicago Bears. I don't even know if Justin Fields is going to be playing in this game. So you're going to have Jared Goff versus Andy Dalton. No, I'll pass. I'll go ahead and I'll uh, do something else. I'll either sleep in or listen to a little Otis Redding or go ahead and watch a couple of uh, A&E shows or go ahead and, I don't know, maybe watch a little Georgetown Siena basketball game again. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I won't be watching the Lions versus the Chicago Bears on Thanksgiving Day. That's something that I will not be doing. So... The next game that I'm going to be watching, or the first game that I'm going to be watching, or the second game of the day on Thanksgiving tomorrow is going to be Dallas and the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay, now you've got my attention. Now I have a reason to be watching this game because I'm going to be interested to see how the Cowboys are going to recover offensively against uh, Las Vegas after that performance they had against the Kansas City football team and after being embarrassed by Denver three weeks ago where they were uh, well, I'm looking to see what they can do in terms of uh, resurrecting the offense that they showed throughout most of the uh, season now the last time as I mentioned before that they were embarrassed shall we say especially on offense even though it was a team faltering in that beatdown that Denver gave them a couple of weeks ago the week Excuse me, the week after that, they went ahead and dismantled uh, Atlanta pretty good, 43-3. to But have you seen Atlanta has uh, thrown in the towel in terms of being competitive for the last uh, couple of games? So how much are we going to run into that? How much are we going to look into that? How much are we going to take from that when we're going to be speaking about the Cowboys? This against a struggling Las Vegas Raiders team, which, you know, surprisingly is still in the race to try to get into the playoffs. So unlike Atlanta, Las Vegas has something to play for. So even though the Cowboys are going to be playing at home, unlike when they went to Atlanta, I still going to be more interested in see what the Cowboys are going to be doing with, uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders and how well they play. This is going to be a better gauge of how the Cowboys look and how they might be looking down the, uh, down the road going into the playoffs with this game against Las Vegas and then against Kansas City you know this was something where the Cowboys were outplayed defense that has struggled over the year I talked about the old uh, situation where yeah the Cowboys defense has gotten better but they're still the Cowboys defense they're not up there on the same tier as some of the elite squads in the NFL as far as defensive units are concerned and while they've gotten better I still think on a consistent basis the Dallas defense has been mediocre or excuse me the Kansas City defense has been mediocre at best and for the uh and for Kansas City to go ahead and do what they did against Dallas, where they basically were out physical. Dak Prescott was sacked three times in the first half. He didn't complete a pass for more than 10 yards in the air until the second half. Ezekiel Elliott, as I mentioned before, in the first segment of C.D. Lamb, injured in the game. Amari Cooper, Tyron Smith didn't play in that game. Tyron because of an ankle injury. Amari because of COVID situations. Against the uh, football team from Kansas City, Dallas had 16 first downs. 276 total yards on 64 plays, 12 drives, averaging 4.3 yards per play. Not good. That's supposed to be the number one defense in the league going up against a Kansas City defense that has been struggling all year. Prescott was 28 of 43, 216 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. A guy who was supposed to be one of the leading candidates for the MVP. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, Prescott is automatically disqualified or Prescott is no longer right up there in terms of being, you know, a contender for that award, but I'm quite sure he would rather take the 
W for the team and getting them back on track and then worrying about where he stands amongst leaders for the most valuable player award. But um, yeah, so this is a show me game. This is a show me game for the Dallas Cowboys, especially going up against a team in the AFC West now, because it's going to be game three against the against a team from the uh, AFC West and the Denver Broncos beat them up pretty good. The Kansas City football team beat them up pretty good. So against the Raiders, this is going to be try number three to see what they can do to get things back on track and to see what they can do to um, put it back into everyone's mind that yes, the Dallas Cowboys are serious contenders for conference and Super Bowl championships. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So against the Raiders, Coming up Thanksgiving Day, coming up tomorrow, Smith, who missed three games, as I mentioned before, with an ankle injury. He's expected to play. Um, Zeke Elliott practiced on Wednesday. He's ready to play. Amari Cooper is still going to be out because of of COVID uh, protocol. And C.D. Lamb is still up in the air because of a concussion he suffered near the end of the first half against Kansas City. But... Dallas should have a lot of opportunity to get themselves corrected off uh, offensively because if you take a look at where the Las Vegas Raiders rank over the last three weeks as far as defense are concerned, they're back to where they were the season before as far as being putrid. You take a look at the last three weeks, Dallas, excuse me, Las Vegas ranks last in the NFL with a 21% third down conversion rate on offense, 31% on defense, allowing 53 and a half so this would be a good time for the Dallas defense to continue their improvement and also for the Dallas on uh, Dallas Cowboys on offense to get back correctly on that side of the football. So, you know, the Raiders are, are, are struggling, man. They've had 14 straight unsuccessful third downs on, on offense the past two games between converting their first try against Kansas City and then their last against Cincinnati. And between them, 14 straight unsuccessful third downs. Time for someone, time for some folks on the Dallas Cowboys to go ahead and get their uh, letterman, uh, get their letter on their letterman jacket going up against that offense. So the Raiders have a lot to prove. Again, they're still in the hunt for the playoff spot, but this should be a good get back game, get right game for the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wonder Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Just taking a look at some of the games of interest to me this upcoming Sunday. Ah, Tampa Bay at Indianapolis. Uh-huh. This should be pretty good. All right, one of the hottest teams in the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts, standing 6-5, and five, but like Elton John, they're still standing, greater than they've ever been this season. Now, how will Jonathan Taylor do against one of the best defensive lines in the league? There's the storyline for the game because – now, when you're speaking about for the first time this season, we brought up the names Patrick Mahomes, and we brought up the name uh, Kyler Murray, we brought up the name Matthew Stafford, we brought up the name uh, Justin Herbert, we brought up the name Aaron Rodgers, we brought up the name Dak Prescott, we brought up all these names for MVP consideration. They've all been centered around the quarterback. Now, probably for the first time all season, maybe someone threw in a Derrick Henry a couple of weeks ago before he got injured, but now... For some serious consideration, the for league MVP, you have to put in Jonathan Taylor, the first non-quarterback to uh, go ahead and uh, garner that um, garner that, uh, that 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 acclaim. He's the 
you know, he's the league's first 1,000-yard runner this season. You could say that, well, Derrick Henry was playing. Come on now. But, hey, you sorry. You know, injuries count also. So he's the league's first 1,000-yard runner this season. He's tied the NFL record with eight consecutive games of 100 yards from scrimmage and at least one touchdown. He's, you know, it's, he's, he's, he's the uh, engine that makes things run for the Indianapolis Colts, and he's going to be going up against the number one rated defense uh, next week when you're speaking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the team that he played before on the road, one of the top-tier defenses, the least rated in the uh, league, the Buffalo Bills, he had 185 yards rushing, 204 yards for scrimmage, and five touchdown passes. Hello. Hello. And now going up against a defensive line that's averaging around 80 yards giving up per game on the rush, when you're speaking about Tampa Bay, this is going to be intriguing. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be something where, guess what? We might have to be taking a look at Carson Wentz and saying, Carson Wentz, go ahead and give us something from 2019. Go ahead and give us something from 2017 when you were considered to be one of the guys that was going to be the franchise quarterback and be one of the faces of the league. This is a Carson Wentz game where we're going to take a look and see how serious are the Indianapolis Colts because I'm quite sure defense, uh, Tampa Bay is going to stack that box and put out about eight men, seven men, six men in, in the uh, box, and that's going to leave a depleted secondary for Carson Wentz to uh, try to exploit. Is Carson Wentz going to be able to do that? Inconsistent this season, but he's having his best season since 2019. But this is a ball control, run first, power type of football team from the offensive standpoint from the Indianapolis Colts and it shows when you take a look at Carson Wentz where he's thrown the ball only once this season over 40 times he threw it he threw it 51 times against the uh, Tennessee Titans in a loss in overtime and threw a horrible ridiculous pitiful bad decision and interception which gave Tennessee great opportunities to uh, win the football game put them in a position to win the football game. So when you're speaking about Carson Wentz, you're speaking about a guy who, again, not going to be putting the ball in the air a lot. In fact, he's thrown 35 or more passes in the game four times. That's it, four times. I talked about Mac Jones. You know, is he going to be able to out-gunsling? Is he going to be able to outperform a quarterback of high quality if New England's going to try to get to where they want to get to in terms of winning championships this season? The same thing could apply for Carson Wentz. Sooner or later, Carson Wentz is going to have to uh, throw the ball in the air. And when he does that, is that going to be advantage for the Colts? Or is it going to be a huge advantage for the other team? He threw for 402 yards against Tennessee. But after that, he had them thrown for 300 yards in the game. With the exception of that game. So it's going to be time for Carson Wentz, who has a lot of 11 for 20s for 125 yard type performances. Yeah, he's thrown 18 touchdowns with three interceptions, but still, there hasn't been a game yet where Carson Wentz, they put the ball in his hand and they say, go win us a game, and he has gone and won us a game for Indianapolis. He did that plenty of times over his career with the Philadelphia Eagles before that fell off a cliff. Somewhere down the line, just like Mac Jones, Carson Wentz is going to have to prove that he can have the trust of his of his teammates that he can go out and win a football game throwing the ball around the field against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team, again, that's depleted, that's going to be uh, weakened by injuries in the secondary. Carson Wentz is going to have the ability to do that if, in turn, the defensive line for Tampa Bay steps up and plays their game and says, you know what, sorry, 
Jonathan Taylor is not going to beat us. I don't give a damn. Jonathan Taylor is not going to beat us. You're going to have to find another way, Indianapolis, to beat to beat us. All eyes point to Carson Wentz on that one, especially going up uh, going up against a uh, strong defense. Excuse me, a strong offense like the uh, Buccaneers with Tom Brady and Mike Evans and and, um, and Chris Godwin. Rob Gronkowski is back, putting up 30 points against the New York Giants. If they're going to be humming, if Tampa Bay is going to be working, if Tampa Bay is going to be back to normal on offense, it's going to be imperative, especially if they shut down Jonathan Taylor or minimize the impact of Jonathan Taylor. The Indianapolis Colts are going to have to get something from Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is going to have to have a throwback game, as I mentioned before, to a few performances in 2019 and the promise he was showing in 2017. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just looking at some games that I'm going to be watching on Sunday with great interest. Spoke about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Indianapolis Colts. Talked about the Las Vegas Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys. Now we've got the Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams flying out to Green Bay, Wisconsin to play the boys. Rams returning from an off week attempting to avoid a third consecutive loss. You know one thing that I'm looking at though? I'm looking at the matchup between Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey. That's going to be... uh, that's going to be something. Everybody's talking about, well, what about Von Miller and what about Odell Beckham Jr.? My main interest is watching the league's elite wide receiver going up against the league's elite cornerback, maybe the best cornerback in the game in Jalen Ramsey, who has now expanded his game to include, hey, you know what, man? The defensive coordinator is putting me, Raheem Morris is putting me in positions to where I can have a greater impact on the game through tackling, through roaming out throughout the uh, secondary and such. So, you know, he's making his impact really, really known probably for the first time since uh, he came over from the Rams from Jacksonville in terms of really expanding his impact on the field. So going up against Devontae Adams, who's right there with Cooper Cup in terms of statistically being the best wide receiver in the game with 72 catches for close to 1,000 yards, five touchdowns this season. Ramsey has picked off three passes. So, you know, it's, it's another tall tale sign to find out exactly what's happening with the Rams because the Packers are depleted through injuries so much when you speak about they're still without left tackle David Bacchiari, Bacchiari and Elgin and Elgin uh, Jenkins the, the Darius Smith Jair Alexander on the defensive side of the ball they're still out with injury so again what are we going to see from the Rams I don't give a damn about the impact of Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller that really doesn't I'm, I'm not really looking to gauge where the Rams are by you know the impact statistical impact that Beckham and Vaughn Miller have on the defense and the offense. I'm not really interested in that. Yeah, you want to see Miller make some plays without question. Yes, you want to see Odell Beckham Jr. with a week off to kind of grasp a little bit better of what the Los Angeles Rams playbook is all about from the offensive side of things. You want to see him go ahead and have a bigger impact than he did against the San Francisco 49ers. But my more concern is with a the offensive and defensive lines for the Los Angeles Rams, who, as I mentioned before, over and over again on Sunday Night Football a couple of weeks ago were dominated by the Tennessee Titans. Then 
on Monday night, the week after that, the San Francisco 49ers ran all over them and controlled the clock and controlled the offensive line of scrimmage um, for that game. So I'm going to be more interested to see exactly what's going to be happening, what adjustments that the Los Angeles Rams made on their week off to get themselves back on track. Because as I mentioned before, over and over again, this is not making. This is not about making the playoffs, and this is not just making the Super Bowl. This is about winning the Super Bowl. All the chips are in, and the Los Angeles Rams' expectations just went up to winning Super Bowls, not just a Super Bowl, winning Super Bowls. So, an interesting matchup. To uh, say the least, it's going to be a good Sunday of watching some NFL football, starting off with Thursday. Again, wake me up when the Chicago-Detroit Thanksgiving game is over, but I'll be ready for Dallas and Las Vegas. And from there, hip, hip, hooray, time is off. Time is rip-roaring, ready to go for me to get ready, to be relaxed, to be focused, and get ready to watch some really good NFL football. They say in Japan, Konishiwa, Namaste, in other parts of the world. Shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. As I'm walking down the beautiful beaches of Mexico with my senorita, I say, que pasa mi amigos, mi amo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, as I'm strolling along the shores of the I must say, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. And when... I'm walking along the streets of Dusseldorf or Frankfurt. I might say to somebody, good to moan and good to Aben. Wendell's World in Sports, yours truly, Wendell Wallace. How you doing, man? What's happening? So good that you could be listening to this podcast. Um, College football. <laughs> How about this? A new Final Four. A new Final Four. Yes, everything worked out. Yes, we, hold on, hold on. We don't know about that yet. When we're speaking about now the number one team in the country still being the Georgia Bulldogs, ah, moving from number four to number two in the rankings after that beatdown of Michigan State, we have the Ohio State Buckeyes going in at number three is the Alabama Crimson Tide. And as I mentioned before, number four, Cincinnati, the Bearcats. It took a whole lot of losing. It took Oregon getting crushed by Utah, but the Cincinnati Bearcats are finally in the top four. Can everybody relax? Can everybody calm down? This is what the selection committee is saying right now. Can all of y'all just calm the fuck down? Can all of y'all just relax? Can all of y'all stop doing all the hate mail, the hate email? Can y'all can y'all stop making fun of us? The Cincinnati Bearcats undefeated. Yes, they are in the final four. Now, 
Will they remain in the Final Four? We don't know. But as of right now, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati make up the top four. The remaining top four teams outside looking in Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. So let's go ahead and take a look at the remaining schedules for the playoff contenders. Because look, man, Georgia's in, bing a bang a boom Unless they lose to Georgia Tech. If they lose to Georgia Tech, then guess what? They don't deserve to be in the, uh, <laughs> I mean, I should say this. Georgia deserved to be in the playoffs, but playing by the rules of college football, they lose to Georgia Tech, they shouldn't be in the playoffs. But I'm going to go on the assumption that they're going to beat Georgia Tech. They're going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game, and then win or lose, they're going to be in the playoffs regardless. If they beat Alabama in that SEC championship game, they'll be the number one seed, and if they lose, they'll be the number two seed. The, the deal is, is this. If we're going to have, I don't, I mean, I'm not in the room, but my my thoughts and opinions about this is if I'm in the selection committee, if I'm on the selection committee and I'm putting these four teams in there and I want to have Georgia and Alabama, who I think might be the two best teams in the country, I don't think that, but if the selection committee thinks that they're one of two or three teams that are the best in the country, you throw in Ohio State also. I'm looking for a final college football final of either Georgia and Alabama or Georgia and Ohio State or Ohio State and Alabama. That's what I want. So somehow, some way, we cannot go ahead as the selection committee. We can't have, if Georgia, say, for instance, beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. And let's just say it's close. Let's just say it's a late field goal, back and forth game, unbelievable, this, that, and the other. So it will justify putting a two-loss Alabama team still in the playoffs. There's no way then that you could put Alabama as the number four team in the playoff scenario because Georgia would be number one so you'd be talking about the semifinal game of Georgia and Alabama they just played the game before in the SEC championship so so how how are we going to finagle this say for instance if Alabama loses to Georgia but it's a close game it's a tight game it could then justify depending upon what happens in the big 10 championship the big 12 championship and so forth and so on that you know what Alabama played the number one team in the country for the most of the year, for the entire year, down to the wire. So because of that, we're not going to punish them by putting them at number four, especially, let's say, for instance, that Cincinnati runs the table and they're going to be in the playoffs also. There's no way that we can justify having Alabama, whose two losses are to a very good Texas A&M team, which came down to the wire, and then losing to Georgia on a neutral field where they're the number one team with a bullet with the strength of Sampson running over niggas like Rodney Hampton. We can't have Alabama then in a close loss either drop out of the playoffs or move to the number four spot. So we're going to keep them at number three, which would then set up a situation where Georgia could then play Alabama in the national championship game, which I'm guessing outside of maybe Ohio State in Alabama or Ohio State in Georgia would be the most watched championship game. I don't think Cincinnati making the final, there would be intrigue there. There would be a storyline there. If, for instance, my goodness gracious, Cincinnati goes ahead and pulls off the upsets of upsets and beats Georgia, and then they play Ohio State or Alabama in the final, that would be something where it's like, oh shit, this is something else. But I'm thinking from... The outside looking in, because I'm not in that selection room, I'm not in that, um, I'm not privy to anything that went down in those meetings. I'm guessing that uh, they want it somehow to have Georgia number one and Alabama number three for 
Georgia to be number one, Alabama to be number four, and they play in the national semifinal game. That would not be copacetic. I'm guessing, I'm assuming, I'm giving my thought and opinion about that. So Georgia, Alabama playing in the SEC championship game. Georgia is going to remain either the number one seed with a win, number two seed with a loss, and then Alabama, I'm going to guess, would then be the number one seed for the playoffs again regardless of what Ohio State would then do in the national championship game because again they want to delay that matchup between Georgia and Alabama if it's going to happen again for the national championship so Georgia pretty much uh, set for getting into the playoffs all they have to do is go ahead and beat Georgia Tech I'm going to go on the assumption again that they will Ohio State as I mentioned before jumping from number four to number two after that beat down of number seven Michigan State by the way Mel Tucker Mel Tucker got his money hold on for a second Mel Tucker got his money get that money bro 95 million baby Good job from Mel Tucker. <laughs> Good job from Mel Tucker. Now he's on the same plane at Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fisher, only behind Nick Saban. Man, what kind of boosters do they got at Michigan State to be paying that kind of money? One more time. Hold on for a second. One more time for Mel Tucker. <laughs> Don't spend all that money in one place. Um, but, you know, Ohio State beat the snot out of, out of the then number seven Michigan State, 56-7. to seven. Ohio State plays at Michigan on Saturday, number five ranked Michigan. The winner then wins the Big Ten East and then moves on to the Big Ten Championship game that's going to be played in Indianapolis. They're going to either play Wisconsin, Iowa, or Minnesota. Now, most prognosticators think that it's going to be Wisconsin and they can clinch the West with a win against Minnesota or losses by Iowa or Purdue or other stuff that I'm really not going to get into because it'll make my head spin here on a very late Wednesday night. So the question now moving forward is you took a look at Ohio State, right? And all year I was sitting there talking about, okay, Ohio State has looked good but they've been inconsistent in terms of how dominant are they, right? Because people are sitting there pointing to, ooh, they killed Indiana. Well, big fucking deal, man. Indiana's not any good. Their game against Nebraska was eh. Their game against Penn State was eh. They lost to Oregon earlier in the season. Their game against Akron was eh. There, there wasn't that signature performance by Ohio State, which had which, which which could convince me to say, oh yeah, Ohio State is at the same level that they've always been. They are one of the elites of the elites in this season's college football. They, they didn't have that performance until last uh, Saturday against Michigan State. And it's like, oh, okay. All right, I've got you. Remember, not just me, but remember the prognosticators and the folks who really get into college football and those who write college football and those who are highly experienced and, and educated about uh, college football and the teams and all this type of stuff. You remember after the first couple of weeks when people were speaking about, man, especially after Clemson went down and give it up for Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, how they've uh, turned their season around and now they're eight and three after many people thought like, you know, is this going to be the decline? Is this the start of the decline for the Clemson Tigers? I was one. I was one, raised my hand, raised my hand for that uh, wrong thought and thought thought process there, but Remember after Clemson looked so bad against uh, on, on offense against uh, Georgia, and then they lost another game, which 
you know, eliminated them from any type of playoff talk and they were going to be going down and Ohio State had just lost to Oregon and Luber's thinking about, man, you know, there's some situations here where, you know, the elites of the elites, they're down. And this could be a situation where we could be taking a look at a whole new landscape, at least for this year, in terms of we're not going to have the same old teams, you know, when we're speaking about the Final Four. We're not going to have, you know, the Blue Bloods and the elites of the elites of the college football programs be in the discussion for the top four seeds for the playoffs. Remember around week two or three and four of the college football season, people were talking about that? Well, let's fast forward to November 24th, 2021, and we take a look at the final four teams, and we have Georgia, we have Alabama, we have Ohio State. Hello, and there's a possibility where we could get Oklahoma in there. Hello, or we could get Michigan and Notre Dame in there. Hello, more things change, the more things stay the same. Now, Cincinnati could be the ointment in the whole scenario, but I'm, I'm sorry, that doesn't change the landscape of it. The same old song with a different team in the final four, but it's still like, you know, hey, Alabama, Georgia, SEC, SEC, Big Ten, I mean, you know, Notre Dame, which has gotten into the playoffs on a, uh, you know, a few times in the last uh, five or six or seven years under Brian Kelly. So the more things change, the more things stay the same. But um, to prevent this from happening in terms of Ohio State, again, Going back, getting back to the position that they've always been. I mean, this is a situation where we have to ask, does Michigan really have a chance? Does Michigan really have a chance? Because in this quote-unquote rivalry, which over the last, I don't know, 15 years, that's a decade and a half, really hasn't been a rivalry. Ohio State has won eight straight. They've won 15 of their last 16. Jim Harbaugh is 0-5 against Ohio State. His team is losing those games by an average of 19 points. And then when you take a look at the last two games that they played, remember 2020, no game because of COVID. So when you take a look at the last uh, two games that Jim Harbaugh's Ohio, um, Michigan Wolverines and Ryan Day's Ohio State has played, you're speaking about Ohio State running up 118 points and piling up over 1,100 yards of offense. That's domination, Holmes. That is Ohio State, the equivalent of that type of domination. You might as well take out Michigan and put in Wisconsin. You might as well take out Wisconsin and Michigan. You might as well put in Indiana. You might as well take out then Indiana and put in, oh, I don't know, uh, Nebraska. You might want to take them out and put in another sorry-ass team that Ohio State runs over year after year after year. In terms of competitive nature is concerned, the big game or this historic rivalry, what's the difference over the last couple of years of Ohio State playing Michigan, what's the difference in terms of being competitive than it is with Ohio State playing Indiana, Ohio State playing Northwestern, Ohio State playing shit, I don't know, Purdue. What's What's been the big difference? Hell, Ohio State has been more competitive. It's been a more competitive game when Ohio State plays uh, Northwestern. Take a look at that Big Ten championship game. Ohio State has been more competitive playing against Oh, I don't know, shit, um, Purdue maybe. The last couple of games, as I mentioned before, as I said here and told you, I guess Michigan has been a blowout. So what is the difference? What's going to make this game any different than what's going to be happening over the last, oh, I don't know, 15 times that Ohio State beat them, except for the, was it the first time or second time that uh, Michigan with Jim Harbaugh played 
Ohio State and it came down to an overtime victory and Mike Hart should have gotten that yard or, or something like that, or I, I don't know what it was, but it was a really competitive game. If you remember when Ohio State scored the winning touchdown, Urban Meyer fell to his knees, fell to his fell to the ground in relief after the game was over and then Harbaugh complaining about how horrible the officiating was. That was the one time in Harbaugh's five chances of beating Ohio State that, you know, Michigan was competitive. Other than that, it has been a blowout. So what makes this game any different? Why are we going to be anticipating anything different than what the games were between Michigan and Ohio State the last uh, couple of times that they played? Well, Michigan has a pretty decent defense, ranked 12th nationally in terms of, um, no, I'm sorry, offensively, they're ranked 12th nationally in terms of time of possession. They have good balance on offense where you're speaking about 218 yards rushing and 229 yard passing. So that means is that somehow, some way, this is going to have to be somewhat of a replica if you're Ohio State and Michigan. This is going to have to be somewhat of a replica between the Super Bowl game between the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills. Let me explain. The New York Giants came into the game. Bill Parcells, Jeff Hostetler as the um, quarterback replacing Phil Simms. Um, Joe Morris was out by that time, so they had the kid from Ohio State, uh, the kid from Miami whose name... <sighs> Shit, I forgot. But the running well, the running back, I forgot, number 24. Age is a bitch. But um, basically what I'm trying to say is that, look, to get that dynamic incredible offense for Buffalo off the field or keep them on the sidelines. That Buffalo offense that had Jim Kelly and Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas and James Lofton and, and, and those guys, the only way, because they weren't going to outscore them. You know, the, the, the Giants were not going to outscore them. So this was going to be a situation where they were going to have to keep the Buffalo offense on the sideline while controlling the clock with a strong running game and being physical, something that was duplicated again when the New England Patriots under a second-year quarterback named Tom Brady went to the Superdome in New Orleans and beat the heavily favored greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams with Mike March at the head coach and Curtin Warner and Marshall Falk and Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and those guys. So it was a situation where they had to be physical, situation where they had to dominate the offensive and defensive lines and control the ball and... This was a situation where if you go all the way back to, I believe, 1990, forget what it was, when Buffalo played the Giants, this was a situation where the Bills had come off blowing out the then Oakland Raiders 51-3. to Poor Art Shell. I can still see him sitting there shell-shocked on the sidelines with Jay Schrader as his quarterback. But the Bills came into that Super Bowl riding high, man, because it, they were... The last game that they played was 51-3. This is unbelievable. This is great. The Giants have no chance. Jeff Hostetler, who is he as a quarterback? Blah, blah, blah. They don't have a chance. The only reason why they lost, and the only reason why they beat San Francisco was because Roger Craig fumbled and Joe Montana got knocked out by hit by Leonard Marshall and, and Steve Young was in the game and this, that, and the other. So there was a whole lot of excuses why the Giants shouldn't have even been there and how the Buffalo Bills were going to wipe the floor with them. But Bill Belichick, the defensive coordinator at that time, had a great game plan. The Michigan Wolverines against the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to have to treat the 
Ohio State team like the K-Gun offense of the Buffalo Bills, they're going to have to treat the Ohio State Buckeyes like the greatest show on turf and do what Bill Belichick did in terms of slowing down the game, taking the air out of the ball, being physical, and controlling the line of scrimmage and keeping the ball away from them. You can get some pressure on C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud hasn't really felt any pressure in a long time in terms of uh, him getting dirty in that pocket. The Michigan defense, which uh, ranks seventh in the uh, FBS in scoring defense and tenth in total yardage as far as defense is concerned, they're going to have to go ahead and do that. Now, are they going to be able to do that? Who knows, man? I don't know. They're going to be playing at home, so you know that stadium is going to be rocking and rolling. This is going to be the best chance for them to get the job done. And I think a C.J. Stroud, on the other hand, can go ahead and have a great game. I'm not throwing. I'm not. I'm not talking about him doing what he did against Michigan State, but if he can be. I don't know, 65% as far as spectacular as he, as, uh, as he was against Michigan State. You have to say that uh, he's the front runner for the Heisman Trophy unless in the SEC Championship game that uh, Bryce Young goes fucking nuts. So, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and take a look at that. Don't know if Michigan can do it, but as I mentioned before, I think the game plan is there. I think the game plan for Michigan, if they're going to uh, – be able to execute it is I think the chances are 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 good. I don't think they're dormant. And I don't think this, this is going to be a game where Ohio State is just going to blow them out. I expect to see I expect to see a very good competitive game. I'm not picking Michigan to win, but for those who are coming off of the uh, blowout that Ohio State had over Michigan State and go on the assumption after the past history between these two teams that Ohio State's just going to mop the floor with the uh, Wolverines from Michigan, I say, hold on, hold on. I don't think so. Again, picking Ohio State, but I'm thinking it's going to be a much more competitive game, low-scoring game than many people are anticipating. So with that being said, Ohio State's probably going to win 65-3. to Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening in college football, speaking about what's happening in in the final four, speaking about what's happening with these teams in terms of what they're going to be doing to get there as far as the final four is concerned. My goodness gracious, Alabama and Auburn, not much of a game. We're speaking about the ineptitude or we're speaking about the lack of competitive nature between the rival of uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Well, I mean, what does it say? What are we looking at? What are we talking about? What are we surmising with the Iron Bowl, just because you have a bunch of uh, nutwigs from um, Alabama, one from Auburn, one from Tuscaloosa, getting up there and talking about we're going to be doing this and we're going to be doing that. Auburn has no shot, bruh. Auburn has no shot, sis. Come on now. Bama's already clinched a spot in the conference championship game. So even if they lose to Auburn, they can still get in the SEC. And my goodness gracious, people are talking about, well, if they lose to Auburn, they're going to be eliminated from the playoffs. Remember, this is Alabama. They even lose this game. They get in and they beat Georgia. You don't think somehow, some way, that selection committee is not going to reward them by putting them in the playoffs? <laughs> but they should win this game easily. Auburn has lost three straight games. Bo Nix is done for the season with an ankle injury. So the 15-year 15, uh, 15 college career of Bo Nix has finally come to an end. His biggest, his biggest whoop-de-doo as a college football player was his freshman year, freshman game. Uh, first game of his freshman year against Oregon, his 
one drive to win the game. That was the highest of highs in the Albury career of Bo Nix, a man who dreamed of being the quarterback for Auburn. And he was going to save Gus Malzone's job because this was a guy who dreamed of playing for Auburn. And his skill set was matched perfectly with Gus Malzahn. Where's Gus Malzahn now? Oh, that's right, not coaching in Auburn. So questions, let's just say, for instance, go ahead. Alabama does, does what they need to do, beat Auburn. So the question is going to be happening. In the SEC championship game, what what happens if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game? Would the selection committee, would they really go ahead and put in a two-loss Alabama team over, say, Notre Dame or Oklahoma State, Oklahoma or the Big 12 champion, the Big 12 champion, because Baylor, even if they win the Big 12, they have too, they have too many losses, so no, no bueno for them. But um, it would be Oklahoma State or Oklahoma or... Are we speaking about now a situation where, hey, man, it's it's really playoff time for Alabama because even if they beat Auburn, which they're going to do, if they lose to Georgia and the game is not close or the game is not as competitive as many people thought it would be, are we taking a look at a possibility where, say, for instance, Oklahoma runs the table, they're ranked number eight right now, would they, would they jump over um, – Will they jump over Notre Dame? Will they jump over those teams to go ahead and make it into the uh, Final Four? Let's just say, for instance, uh, Ohio State wins the Big 12. Georgia wins the SEC. So that's two right there. Cincinnati goes ahead and they win the wins the AAC. So it's like, you know, fuck it, put them in there. So that's three. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about the number four team? Are we going to put in the Big 12 champion? Or are we going to put in... Alabama are we going to put in the big 12 champion if it's Oklahoma are we going to put in Alabama are we going to put in Oklahoma State if they run the table have one loss are we going to put them in big 12 champion are they going to put them in over a two loss Alabama team that might play Georgia tight in the SEC championship game I don't know man I don't know because once again the selection committee committee we, we really don't know what's happening and for those who are speaking about well Alabama this Alabama that let me let me ask you a question let me ask you a serious question let's go ahead and talk about a two loss Alabama team losing losing twenty four fourteen losing seventeen to ten losing twenty one to ten in the SEC championship game right it's not a one score game but it's not a blowout either right. But you walk away from that game saying that this season, Georgia is the better football team. Not by miles, but comparing Georgia and Alabama, this season, Georgia is the best football team this season, right? So with that on the resume, with that as an acknowledgement, what do you do with Alabama again? Say, for instance, I'm not even talking about Cincinnati. I'm going to go on the assumption that they're already in. So let's just go and speak about Alabama, Ohio, excuse me, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, right? One of those two teams run the table, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, right? What would be the reason for Alabama to still maintain the opportunity to play for the championship being the number four or being the number three squad kind of matchup so they don't play Georgia two times in a row? What, what would it entail? Because if you just take a look at Alabama this season, right? Give me their best performance. What's their best performance this year? What's their oh wow moment this season? What is their what is their Ohio State Michigan State game of the season? 
Huh? What's their uh, Cincinnati going on the road and beating Notre Dame convincingly? What? What is? Where has on this schedule? What game has that been for Alabama? They beat then number fourteen Miami, beat number eleven then number eleven Florida, thirty-one twenty-nine. We've we've all seen what happened with Florida. They then beat Ole Miss, ranked number 12 at the time. Ole Miss and now moved up to uh, number nine. So they beat them 42-21, which I guess you can consider that being the best win of the season. They beat Mississippi State 49-9. They beat Tennessee 52-24. Beat LSU, a floundering LSU, a team in disarray LSU, a non-quarterback LSU team 20-14. And then they beat number 21 Arkansas 42-35. So outside of them beating Ole Miss, would that constitute them saying that's the reason why Alabama needs to be in there despite losing in the SEC championship game to Georgia despite Oklahoma and Oklahoma State winning the Big 12 because you can make the same argument in terms of, well, shit, what the fuck has Oklahoma done? I mean, you're talking about Alabama losing two games and having a not having a great performance, not having a historic moment, not having a huge game. Where in Oklahoma's resume did they have a big game? What, their, their huge victory over Iowa State? What, their big game against Bedlam where they always beat Oklahoma State? What, beating, beating the Big 12 champion uh, Baylor? I mean, come on, man. Where, where is Oklahoma to be sitting there? You're talking about, Wendell, you're talking about where's Alabama's big game victory? Where's Oklahoma's? You're going to compare, I mean, so, so I get it. I, I understand it. But it's just something, again, where it's like, interesting. What do you have to think about these things? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Cincinnati Bearcats coming in at number four. They play East Carolina on Friday. Then they play in the American Athletic Conference Championship game December 4th, probably against Houston or against Houston. If they win, they're in. I don't know. What scenario could the selection committee have to screw Cincinnati if they win all of their games and get in there? What, What could be their excuse? What could happen? There's, there's there's nothing. If Michigan beats Ohio State and then Michigan wins the Big Twelve, a Big Ten championship, there's no way Ohio State can maneuver their way back in there. That's it. They're done. You can't put Notre Dame in there because Notre Dame has one loss, and that one loss was to oh Cincinnati on their home field. Oops. You can't do that. Every other team has one loss. Again, you take a look at the resume of Oklahoma. Oklahoma is going to be more deserving. If they beat, uh, if they run the table, they're going to be more deserving than Cincinnati. Now, yes. Hey, guess what, man? The, their one win against Notre Dame, impressive. But that's about it. Especially when you speak about, well, you know, they beat SMU and they beat Houston. Come on now. Now, come on. Come on. Nice teams, but they're non-Power 5 teams from the AAC. You know, for for there's still, I bet you, a decent amount of people who still feel like a halfway decent win against Indiana was better than, say, for instance, uh, beating SMU or Houston in some people's minds for Cincinnati. So, yeah, beating the number 22 ranked team in the country and beating the number 25 ranked team in the country from a non-power five school, that don't do it for me. I mean, that, that don't get me dancing on the ceiling like Ryan Ritchie or dancing in the street like Martha and Vandella. Sorry, sorry, but... But despite all of those things, they win their games. They got to get in, especially in a season like this. Reward them. 
Read War Them. Don't worry about Selection Committee. This is not a situation where this is going to be happening on an everyday basis, especially after Luke Fickle takes another job somewhere else at a Power 5 uh, at a Power 5 school, whether it be, I don't know, he's not taking LSU, I don't see him taking USC, I don't know what he would take, but uh, there's some pretty good openings out there for him to take, so, you know, this is a situation where, look, man, just go ahead and just play the game and just go ahead and just go with it for one season. The Pac-12 stumbled, bumbled again, so they don't have any dog in the fight, they don't have any argument to make. Maybe the Big 12, but they're in disarray with Texas and Oklahoma doing their thing. They've got bigger fish to fry in terms of who are we going to be replacing? How in the world can we keep this conference even going with uh, the exodus of Texas and Oklahoma, be it next season or a couple of seasons down the road? So, look, man, this is a great opportunity for uh, you guys even to uh, shove it in the faces of those who feel that any way when it come, when rubber hits the road, that you wouldn't go ahead and do this and put Cincinnati in there. Now is the time to say, told you so, bitches, and uh, put them in there. So, yeah, man, that's uh, that's what's happening. And then you got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. You know, if Oklahoma wins on Saturday, they'll, they'll play Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 championship game. If Oklahoma State wins and Baylor wins, Oklahoma State's going to play Baylor. And if Baylor loses, Oklahoma advances Take notes on that because there's going to be a quiz at the end of the season, at the end of this class, and also, again, um, special dedication going to Mel Tucker. Congratulations, 10 years, $95 billion, all of it guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I mentioned before, they'll spend all that money in one place. So college football setting up for an interesting Saturday. Everything will be much clearer in terms of who's doing what, who's doing where, and who's going to be playing for the playoffs once Saturday evening is over. segment of the podcast last segment of the program Wendell's World and Sports so glad that you could be with us thank you very much for tuning in thank you very much for listening remember to download remember to subscribe to rate to review to follow anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts and as I mentioned before I have now really put together something in terms of my YouTube account is concerned Wendell's World and Sports to where 
hey man, I'm actually going to be doing this. I actually got a camera. I'm actually sitting there. I'm going to be doing my podcast video camera. I'm going to be speaking about some things in depth a little bit more in terms of what I want to be speaking about, basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas and such. So as I mentioned before at the beginning of the uh, podcast and the preview, that I'm not going to be speaking about Georgetown. They're going to be playing tomorrow night against uh, San Diego State. And I want to go ahead and break down their games against American and Siena, give you my thoughts and opinions about that. But I'm going to say that for the video podcast that I'm going to be putting down on my YouTube channel, complete with highlights, complete with all of those type of things. So you won't have to be looking at this ugly son of a bitch for about 30 to 45 minutes. Oh yeah, and that's right. My video podcast, nowhere in nowhere in the uh, two-hour range that I tried to uh, do with my podcast. So just a little different in terms of what I'm what I'm trying to put down to expand the Wendell's world in Wendell's world and sports empire in terms of putting something down a little bit different. So, for instance, mainly I spoke about what was happening in uh, the NFL and then went ahead and spoke about uh, college basketball on my YouTube channel while I'm going to be discussing, you know, some of the games in the NFL and the uh, college football and such. I'm also going to be speaking about getting down on the NBA, the love of my life, the NBA, as well as my Georgetown Hoyas. And one of the main things I'm going to be speaking about on my YouTube channel concerning the NBA. Look, you know, we're, we're still in the infancy somewhat. First month, first month and a half as far as the NBA season is concerned. So, look, you know, you have this Phoenix Suns that they're on this long winning streak. You have what's going to be happening with the LA Lakers. Can they ever get things back to uh, being where the expectations were for this season after they acquired Russell Westbrook. You're going to be speaking about, and I'm going to be speaking about, you know, what's happening in the Eastern Conference. The Chicago Bulls have slipped just a little bit. The Washington Wizards, my Washington Wizards, has slipped just a little bit after, um, you know, a slow start. The Brooklyn Nets seem to be rebounding very nicely. So, you know, things are starting to fall into place a little bit. The West is wide open, as I mentioned before, when you have Utah, when you have Denver, even though they're loaded with injuries, Jokic not playing because of an injury, Jamal Murray being out because of the torn ACL, the questions surrounding Michael Porter Jr. Is he ever going to uh, get back to where his potential was leading him with the back injury? So, you know, we have that situation going on in Denver. We, again, have the defending Western Conference champions dealing with the whole Robert Sarver situation. Now, the NBA currently, I guess, is investigating. But, you know, despite all of those things, the... um, the um excuse me, the Suns continue to do well. We still you have the surging Dallas Mavericks now that Luca is starting to get into shape. You have the surging Portland Trailblazers now that Damian Lillard seems to be shaking off some of the I wouldn't say rust because he played in the Olympics this summer, but he's starting to round himself in the form. And you still have some teams which I'm gonna be interested in at near the bottom of the play-in games, such as the uh, Memphis Grizzlies and such. So those are some of the things I'm going to be discussing, you know, as we move on, the Golden State Warriors being the best team in the NBA uh, by far, the Miami Heat, um, what they're doing, again, the Chicago Bulls, the Washington Wizards, the surprising Charlotte Hornets, the impressive Cleveland Cavaliers in terms of what their expectations were, Evan Mobley, being better at the beginning of the season than many people even thought he could be. So the Philadelphia 76ers, what they're going to be doing with this whole Ben Simmons situation, the New York Knicks being up and down after a quick start, a good start to the season. Looks like they were going to 
piggyback on the success that they had last uh, season. Then they hit a bump in the road. The starters for the Knicks have been absolutely abysmal. The bench for the Knicks have been the ones that have kept them somewhat above water or kept them somewhat above 500. The Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis starting to round in the shape and get their groove going after a slow start with some of their starters coming back. Brooke Lopez still out with uh, an injury, but for the most part, well, Lopez and Dante DiVincenzo out with injuries, but uh, the Bucks seem to be uh, making that play in terms of, you know what, we're playing the long-term game with this, and we know when everything is all said and done, we'll be rip-roaring, ready to go. So those are just some of the things on my YouTube video, which I'm going to be discussing. And I'm also going to be discussing getting down to what I really want to discuss. And I'll get into this for about five minutes on the uh, podcast and the uh, program about Anthony Davis. Now, the return of the king... LeBron James came back, Indiana, put a marvelous performance with 39 points and did the old school step back three-point left side deep, left side three-point step back uh, jumper to uh, ice the game and did did the uh, hold it down, hold it down, slap his chest twice and scream to uh, let we know, let everybody know that the king is back, that the king is here after being suspended for one game after that... uh, I don't know what the hell that was all about. He hit uh, Isaiah Stewart inadvertently, I guess, in the nose, and he got a game for that. And uh, it was a closed fist, clenched fist. He hit Isaiah Stewart in the nose, and Isaiah Stewart completely lost his mind. I would have given Isaiah Stewart at least four games for that nonsense that he did. You can't be acting like that, man. That look, you look like Alonzo Mourning back in his first couple of years when he came into the league from Georgetown, and he lo- he was looking to fight everybody. The guy looked like Willis Reed going up against the Detroit Pistons back in 66-67 where he went over to the uh, Piston bench and tried to fight everybody. So that was like, man, what, what what's up with Isaiah Stewart, man? Calm down, man. I, I, don't, I don't know what hood you came from. I don't know what neighborhood you came from. I don't know. What, what it was in terms of keeping it real, but uh, hey man, you know, you're a grown-up and uh, you know you got to tone it down a little bit. Being angry, yes. You know, wolfing and, you know, initially trying to get at the man, yes. But after that, no. After that, no. Like you calm down, you try to trick somebody that you calm and you're cool and then you then you try to bum rush somebody like, you know, like, like, like Aaron Darnold trying to rush the quarterback. Come on, man. That's just totally unacceptable, unacceptable. Not good at all. I mean, the man, the man didn't, you know, the man didn't punch your wife or your kids or your mother in the face. So just calm down with that. Overreacting, over just hypeness toward that. But uh, the one thing that I wanted to get into, Anthony Davis. If the Lakers going to, everybody speaks about Russell Westbrook, Russell, Russell Westbrook in terms of the Lakers having success. The key is going to be Anthony Davis. It's going to be Anthony Davis. And the question is, can we trust Anthony Davis to be that guy? Because I'm here to tell you, despite the fact that LeBron looked great, LeBron looked awesome last night. He did. But I'm sorry, man. Even one of the greatest basketball players of all time, if not the greatest basketball player of all time, the greatest basketball player of our generation, all this type of stuff. LeBron James going on 37 years old in his 19th, 18th season in the NBA. He can't keep this up for an entire season and then bring it over to the playoffs. He just can't. Even if with load management, LeBron James can't do that. It's time now to make the start making the transition for LeBron turning the team over to Anthony Davis. The only question that I have is Anthony Davis ready for that responsibility. 
And this is not a knock. I'm not saying that all of a sudden LeBron James is going to be a bit player. No, this is a situation where he's still going to be the man. He's still going to be the star, but he's going to have to recognize that, hey, man, I need Anthony Davis to be at 26 points per game, 31 points per game on a consistent basis. I need Anthony Davis somewhere to average between 9 and 15 rebounds per game for long stretches of time. I need Anthony Davis to be that player that many people thought he was going to be, the next generation's Tim Duncan, when he came out of Kentucky. And so far, whether it be because of the bad organization, the dysfunctional organization in New Orleans, minor injuries that have kept him from consistently playing and being a top five MVP face of the franchise type player, whatever it may be, Anthony Davis hadn't reached the potential that many people thought he was supposed to be heading toward when he came out of Kentucky after leading them to the NCAA championship his freshman year. The defense has been there. The offense has been great. And he's been a great player without question. I'm not saying Anthony Davis is a bust, but Anthony Davis was supposed to be that guy that was supposed to be the face of the league. Anthony Davis was supposed to be that guy that would be able to take a downtrodden franchise, put him on his back, and then lead them to championship. Anthony Davis was supposed to be that guy. Now he has an opportunity, I think, but the way that this team is constructed, the age of this team and the limitations physically that this team has, that Anthony Davis can be that guy. The responsibility should be given to Anthony Davis. The question is, is Anthony Davis physically, mentally capable of doing it for long stretches of time? A few basketball players right now that can do that. Giannis can do that. Steph Curry can do that. Kevin Durant can do that. And we don't even know with Kevin Durant if he can do that for 70 to 75 games. We know that he can do it for a, for a good long stretches, but just in terms of just the consistency of being dominant and great for 75 to 80 games, Giannis can do that. Luka, once he gets into shape, he's going to be able to join that party. Steph Curry can do that. Is Anthony Davis going to be able to do that? and then carry that over and be the man once the playoff comes, which would truly give the Lakers a great shot with LeBron still being LeBron, regardless of what happens with Russell Westbrook, regardless of anything else. Anthony Davis, LeBron James are the key. The real key, though, Anthony Davis becoming the guy, the man, not LeBron James once the playoff starts. And we start formulating that. We start building that. We start, you know, building that construction in the regular season. So there you go. All right, I am done. I am out of here. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Everybody be safe. Everybody do what they need to do to make this world, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, every place where you go a better place to be. Don't do it for my generation. Don't do it for your generation. Do it for your children, their children, their children, their children. You go ahead and do that. Always try to reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place. If you can, you know what I'm talking about? The boss, Miss Diana Ross. I leave you with that legend. Wendell's world and sports. Be safe, be good, be kind, be all of those things. Peace, love, unity, harmony. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. Music. Reach out and touch somebody's hand, make this world.